This morning's scripture reading will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. If you're visiting with us this morning, that can be located in the Pew Bible located in front of you on page 1024. 1024. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so must you do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Again, good morning. It is good to be together to worship God. And again, if you're a guest, we welcome you. We want to encourage everybody here, whether a guest or a member, to remember that our single mom's car care clinic is this coming Saturday. And there are postcards with information about it and the phone number that uh, a mother can call and reserve a time for her to come in and she'll be taken care of with a manicure and et cetera. And her children will be taken care of while her car is being taken care of, uh, being cleaned up and, and uh, all change and, and just people that are concerned about your well-being will be looking at the car and seeing anything that, uh, that would help you have a better automobile. And uh, just doing it because we love you and that we want to give God all the glory. Our Lord teaches us to love our neighbor as ourself. And that's just one of the ways that we thought that would make a difference in a young single mother's life is to be able to help her with her transportation because oftentimes they say, I don't know much about that area. Now, there may be some single moms here that know everything about a car. I'm just saying, okay? But we would love to help you in that way. But be sure and take a card and, and give it to a neighbor, a coworker, or whoever it is that that would be beneficial to them as a single mom. Also, as we think about Friends Day, I encourage you to just pause for a moment and think of the blessing of friendship. Uh, God is so good to be able to give us the design that we can share in relationships and friendships. We need each other. The very topic of this morning, although it wasn't originally the topic that was planned for Friends Day, uh, we're studying through beginning uh, really last week and this morning, and we'll have the grand opening, if you will, of the series at four o'clock today. And so we want to encourage you to come back as we look at the beginning of a series in Second Corinthians that we're calling Problematic. And it's interesting that we cannot find a life that is free of problems. And so if you've been selling yourself a line that, that says, oh, I'm going to find that life or I don't deserve the problems I have or any of the other things that really are lies that you might be telling yourself, realize that's impossible as long as we're on this earth. Now, we're looking forward to an eternal home where we will be free from problems. But as long as we're on this earth, we're going to have problems. And so what we need to do is to figure out how is it that God would help us solve and walk through the problems in our life. Good, strong, healthy lives are made up of individuals that know how to deal with problems in a healthy way. And that's what we want to find through this study, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is literally laid out by outline as a book dealing with problems. 
Many of the chapters, literally the first phrase of the chapter begins by telling us the problem that he's going to address and the solutions that he's going to offer. And so we think about problematic and, you know, a lot of times we like to sweep things under the rug instead of deal with them. Or we like to take things and put them out of sight. What do you do when you don't want something in your house, but you know you can't get rid of it? Put it up in the attic. And so next thing you know, your rug is full of problems, your attic is full of problems, and you haven't dealt with them in a healthy, healthy way, and it feels like all of a sudden there's an explosion. Problems coming up, problems coming down, and that's the result of a life that hasn't dealt with their problems in a healthy way. And so I hope and I pray that this series will be a blessing to all of us because it's definitely targeting all of us because we live in a world that's full of problems. Problematic, the noun, it means a thing that constitutes a problem or difficulty. When we think of one of the most famous problems in recent years, a little over 40 years ago, you remember that line, Houston? We have a problem. And you remember that particular Apollo 13, later it became known as the Apollo 13 mission, it was intended to land on the moon for astronauts to go out and walk on the moon. But 200,000 miles into the trip, just about 56 hours into the trip, there was a loud noise. And what they, the astronauts figured out was that an oxygen tank had exploded. And so quickly they came to the conclusion in, in Houston as well as in space, they drew the conclusion that they're going to have to abandon the original mission. Now the mission is not to walk on the moon. Now the mission is to bring those astronauts back alive. But they began running their calculations and realized that they very well could run out of oxygen since an oxygen tank had exploded. But then when they ran other calculations, they figured out that what they would run out of first before oxygen would probably be water and power. It was literally the concern, can we get this vehicle back to earth again or will it run out of power? And perhaps the reason that that story has become so famous, the movies, the books, and even today talking about it, is not just because of the problem. If the problem would have happened and Houston would have said, oh, no, 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 don't tell me that. I'm not gonna address it. We wouldn't be talking about it today. We would have just said there were some astronauts that back in the 70s died in space. That's it. But you know the reason that story is so amazing? It's because of the team that they put together to find a solution through that problem. They couldn't make the problem go away, but they could find solutions to direct the best results of that problem. And that is an amazing story that we won't take the time right now. Many of you know it well, but I'm just saying to you at the beginning of this, that's what we want to figure out how to do spiritually. When we find problems, what would be a problem that would preserve life? And especially a problem that we could find a solution to preserve spiritual and eternal life. And that's how we're going to study through 1 Corinthians. And so, as you know, what we're dealing with today, because we love our brothers and sisters in Sudan, I just could not pass this morning on the opportunity of studying with you this morning the story out of 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. We know of the starvation physically that they're suffering there, and we know that to be able to do good for them would be a blessing that not only would they be thankful to us, but more importantly, they would be thankful to God. 
and surely God would receive the glory. And so in that, we think about in 1 Corinthians 16, one through four, the problem of starvation. Isn't that interesting? That's literally what 1 Corinthians 16 is written about. And here we are today dealing with the very same problem. And it's similar in the sense that there are many miles separating the people at Corinth and the people that are starving. Just a, a brief, brief lesson here about the church at Jerusalem that was going through such a difficult time financially. We don't know all the details why. When we are introduced to the church at Jerusalem in the New Testament, as the church began in Acts the second chapter, we see a church that seems like it has some measure of, of sustainability, maybe even slash wealth. You remember some of them were selling land and possessions and they were giving that money to others that were in need. But then by the time you come to the eighth chapter, horrific persecution had broken out such that they were escaping and they were leaving Jerusalem just to keep their lives. Now, I wonder, we don't read this in the book of Acts, but just wonder with me, who would not escape? Who would not flee? It very well could be some that were so poor and so weak that they said, I've got to stay in Jerusalem. What we do know is that the church in Jerusalem seemed to struggle financially after that time. And what we also know is that you have men like Paul, the other apostles, that they loved the church at Jerusalem, but they were traveling around the world. And you know what they could see? They could see the same thing that you and I would see in the world today. You travel on one side of the world and you see prosperity. You see people that have enough food to keep their family alive for six months without going to the grocery store if they had to. And then you go on the other side of the world to another continent and you see people that don't have enough food except for today and they hope and they pray that they'll have enough tomorrow provided by some means. Now, you can imagine, just like in Paul's day, he knew the need in Jerusalem, but he's traveling around churches that had a large Gentile influence and he knew that they had extra and he knew that they had need. And so what he did was he put together a plan to say, let's take a collection and let's give of what we have to help those who are in need. And it's a beautiful story. And it's a very similar story that you and I experience today. But what I want you to understand is that in God's work, it goes much deeper than just saying, let's take some grain or some dollars here on this continent and let's just transfer it to this continent. To God, it becomes about an issue of obedience. It becomes about an issue of the heart. It becomes about an issue of love. How much do you love God? How much do you trust God? How much will you obey God? And so as we see this, I want you to see that this beautiful story unfolds that the church in Jerusalem is going to receive what they need, just like that the church there in Sassoudan is going to receive some of the things that they desperately need. But I don't want any of us to miss the spiritual impact of this. When Paul was speaking to the brethren at Rome, he mentioned this same thing. And I'm just going to give you a couple passages for you to see how we can read about this in other places in Scripture. For example, when he was writing to the brethren at Rome, in Romans the 15th chapter, verse 26, he said, It hath pleased them a Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. Now I want you to notice this. I didn't say they were poor saints. You didn't. God said they were. Paul's writing by inspiration here, and Paul says, Listen, 
There's a lot of you out there that aren't nearly as poor as those saints in Jerusalem. God, what do you expect your people to do? I expect those that have to help those brothers and sisters that they're in a situation in life where they don't have. In 2 Corinthians, remember we read this morning's our text in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. This is the second letter that we have in our Bible recorded uh, to Corinth. And notice in the 8th chapter in verse 3, and by the way, all of the 8th and the 9th chapters, a beautiful study on this topic. We're studying this morning this same situation. He says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, See, how did they give? This is the people of Macedonia. They gave according to their ability. Yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency. You see what imploring means? They were asking. In other words, Paul never went to the church of Macedonia and asked them to give. They came to Paul and they said, we've heard about Jerusalem and we've heard there's a collection. Can we please be a part of it? And they were very poor people themselves. And they gave liberally in their poverty. And now I'd like for you to notice this last phrase here. That we would receive the gift, and here's what's beautiful, and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Notice, this was going to be a way to minister, to serve to the saints. They were not going to go and do it physically. They were going to take a collection, and that was going to be the way that they would minister with the saints, and also they would share in fellowship with the saints. This morning, if I would have gotten up, and I would not have elaborated, I've just said, welcome to Friends Day, and today we're going to have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in South Sudan and say, down. A lot of you would probably be like, what in the world? Are we taking like our hot dog supper this afternoon across the ocean? Like, what does that mean? We're having fellowship. Well, we are. This morning, we had fellowship with South Sudan. We shared together. God has given us things we have shared with them. And that's what the word fellowship is, communion or sharing with together. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 and 1. Now concerning the ministering to the saints. Again, it's called ministering to the saints. Now, I'd like for you to back up and look at 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter and verse 1. This was the text that was read. I'd like for you to notice this. Now concerning the collection for the saints. So that's the topic. We're collecting a collection for the saints. I have given orders to the churches of Galatia. Paul is speaking by apostolic authority. He's, he's pulling out the old, hey, this is not a command from me. This is a command from God. This is an order. I want there to be a collection. Any of you that have been in farming, you know, it's one thing to say, I have corn out in the field. It's another thing to say, my corn has been what? Gathered. That's literally what the word collection means. The word collection means gathering. In other words, it's one thing for us to be able to look across the audience and say, you know what, there are, there's enough people here with the resources you have that we could help the people in Sudan for months and months. It does no good if it hasn't been what? Gathered. Paul says, I'm giving you a command by God, there needs to be a gathering. And he says, I want this to take place. He says, it's the same orders I gave to Galatia. I give it to you. And he says, when? On the first day of the week. Who? Let each one of you do what? Lay something aside. That's how we gather. We take our part, lay it aside. You take your part, lay it aside. On Sunday, we come together, we put it in a plate. And then when there is needs that the church should fulfill, that gathering has already been there. Again, I don't want to overdo the agriculture uh, emphasis, but, but that's what the word gathering means. The, the word collection means. 
things. And it's just like, imagine someone going out and every time they needed to feed the chickens, they needed to feed the pigs, they needed to cook cornbread. Every time they had to walk out and, and get an ear of corn and go back. He says, no, you gather it. You get the collection there. So the resources are all together for you to work from. And that's what he's speaking about there. Now, what I'd like to do Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Remember I said the eighth and the ninth chapter both are all about this. What I'd like to do is I would like to read through these passages and then the sermon is yours. And, and you know my problem. I would love if we had another 45 minutes just to spend on this paragraph. And I know we don't, so don't get antsy. But, but look, at, look at 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. And uh, listen carefully, focus hard. And, and here is where we're going to get the spiritual lesson. What is it that God intended the people of Corinth to gain spiritually from participating in this gathering, okay? What did God intend for them to gain spiritually? What does God intend for us to gain spiritually today? Go back again to verse one. We know for certain what he's talking about. Now concerning the ministering to the saints. So we're not guessing. We know what he's talking about. It's that collection that was going to be taken up. Now, let's drop down. We're going to skip some real good verses, but for time's sake, let's drop down and read verse 7 and 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8. Who's supposed to participate? Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Why did the elders make the announcement last week and ask you to pray and plan? That's the biblical example. God doesn't want your leftovers. He doesn't want your haphazard, oh, reach in the pocket, whoo. You say, I gave, God says, I don't want it. I'm telling you, God does not want your thoughtless gifts. God wants planning. He wants you to consider what he's given you. And then he wants you to consider what the need is. And he wants you to be genuine and purposeful and what you are going to do to help other people. And so he says, as each one purposes or each one plans in his heart, notice it goes down to the heart, not grudgingly of necessity, not, oh, I have to give today. God loves a cheerful giver. Now here is what is awesome and beautiful. Who is the source of this? God gives us command, how are we gonna do it? Well, God's the source. And what about God? He is able to make all grace, that's generous gifts. He's able to make all generous gifts abound toward you, that you also having what? All sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Let's pause there. Imagine a reservoir, but then the reservoir has an intake and it has an outlet valve. Now imagine God says, I never intended to give to you so that you could hold it. He says, I give to you so that you in turn can do what? Fulfill all your sufficiency. Have you prayed for your daily bread today? Have you prayed that your necessities of life will be met? God, thank you for the provisions of the home, the clothing, the food I have. God, please grant me that tomorrow. Listen, God doesn't have to give it to you tomorrow. And you say, oh, we're Americans. We can have it forever. Think how foolish that is. We, we won't have it tomorrow unless what? God gives it to us. And if you don't think it can happen, you're a fool. God can give and God can take away just like that. And so he says, listen, I want you to know that I have given you, God, the great supplier, can give so you can have all sufficiency. He didn't say all luxury, all sufficiency. 
Whatever you and your family needs, God says, I can provide it. But then notice the second reason why he gives. The second reason he says is so you can have an abundance for every good work. How beautiful is that? God says, I can give to you so that your needs be met. I can give to you also so that you have to give to others who also have needs. God, you mean I can be taken care of and you can help me help take care of others. And God says, I am that supplier. I'm the one that can make that happen. Now let's look at what we have to do. The only way that works is if once we receive it, we do the right thing with it. What would you think about a farmer that was so intrigued with his seed? He just kept walking around saying, look at that seed. Isn't that the most beautiful seed? Are you gonna plant it? Oh no, I'm not planting that seed. That's beautiful. Oh, look at this one. As a matter of fact, I have thousands of seeds like this. Oh, I'm not gonna plant them. I'm just, look at all these beautiful seeds. Now you realize if you don't plant them, you're not gonna have harvest. Oh, don't you think I'm getting rid of these seeds? These seeds are staying in the bag, in the barn. No, sir. You're not putting these seeds out there and sowing them. What do you do with your dollars? Oh, look at those dollars. Look at them add up. Aren't those dollars nice? Those dollars make me look rich. Aren't those dollars nice? You don't use them, they're of no good. God did not give them to you so you can store them up and admire how big of grain bins and barns that you can build. Notice what he says here, 2 Corinthians 9, 9 and 10. As it is written, and he quotes from Psalm 112, which if you haven't read Psalm 112 lately, I urge you today to go back and read that. It's a beautiful passage about a man that fears God, obeys God, and the way he is generous in his life. And so he quotes out of that. He has dispersed abroad. What do you do with the seed? You disperse it. It's dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And then he comments. Now may he who supplies seed, who supplies seed, God does. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, God supplies bread for food, and supply and multiply the seed with seeds. I, he says, I multiply the seed that you kept for yourself. He didn't say that, did he? Multiply the seed that you kept in your barn. He didn't say that. Notice, he says, the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. God says, listen, if you take, I'm the supplier, and if you take what I have given and if you sow it out there and you do good with it, he says, I can multiply those seeds. Well, God, what about the seed that I want to keep for yourself? You've wasted them. That's it. You keep it for yourself beyond the necessities that you need. You keep for yourself. He says, I don't do anything to bless those. But he says, you take and you sow it in good. And he says, I will multiply those. So what does this multiplying look like? I want you to notice the first, notice we're not finishing a sentence in 10. It goes into 11. And notice what's gonna to happen to the seed that's sown. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of this service not only supplies the need of the saints, but also abounding through many thanksgiving to God. So what he does in 11 is he talks about those of us that receive from God and we go out and sow it. He says, now notice what I can do to you, but also notice what I can do to the people that you have sown that seed into their life. One, he says, what I've done for you is I have enriched your life. Remember how Jesus said it? I'll start it and in your mind, you finish it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's exactly what we just read right there. You go out, God says, you sow it. And he says, I can enrich your life. But if you keep the seed, I can't enrich your life. It's up to you. I'm sure this can be literally in thousands of ways, but I want to illustrate one way for you. And, and I believe this with all my heart. I'm not trying to, to, to pull at your heartstrings. I'm just trying to illustrate this. 
Right now, you could take a hundred bucks and, and you could hold that hundred bucks in your hands this morning. You say, I'm going to keep this. I thought about giving that to Sudan Relief, but I, I'm going to keep this. Now, if you take the family that I take out to eat on Sunday and the guests that join in, that won't buy two Sunday lunches. hundred bucks won't buy two Sunday lunches for me, okay? So I could take, I could take and say, I'm going to keep this hundred bucks uh, and I'm, I'm going to feed, I'm going to feed two Sunday lunches with my hundred bucks. I'm going to go down, I'm going to buy one pair of blue jeans and a shirt with my Sunday bucks, with my hundred bucks. That's what I'm doing. I'm not going to give mine. I'm keeping it. All right, somebody else says, I'm giving my hundred dollars. We stand on the day of judgment and God reveals the good. That's what judgment's about. He reveals the good. And he looks over at the person that gave the hundred and he says, by the way, you remember that hundred dollars you gave on April 27th? Yeah. He said, you, you see those five people right there? They lived physically because you did that, but they also gave me the glory and they grew closer to me because you did that. I just want you to know that you made a difference in their life and in their eternity. <laughs> I got a new pair of blue jeans. Which one's enriched? Which one is enriched? Well, that, that, that illustration, I don't know exactly how to work, but you know as well as I know, that's true. You can either change somebody's life on this earth and impact their eternity, or you can say, I'm keeping it all. I'm keeping it all. I'm not giving. I'm not giving generously. It's mine. Was God blessed? God only multiplies and he only enriches what we give. What you choose to keep, it is what it is, but it's never enriched and it's never multiplied. And that's a very sobering concept that's a beautiful concept about what God gives us. But notice verse 12, the administration, and that's the same word that's used in 13 also for ministry. It's the same word translated other time for relief. So this, that's not exactly the way we usually use the word administration today is the only reason I'm saying it. He's talking literally in the Greek. It's no doubt about it. He's talking about the, the relief that's sent down there. So he says the relief of this service not only supplies the need of the saints, but also abounding many thanksgiving to God. So you see what he's saying? He says, sure, you're gonna help the people in Sudan or in Jerusalem stay alive, but what you're also gonna do is cause them to give thanks to God. And so in 13, the proof of this ministry is that they'll glorify God. Why are they gonna glorify God? And ultimately it's because you've obeyed the gospel. I wish we had time to elaborate on that, we don't, but that's an amazing way to say that. And it's because we were liberal. And then in 14, by their prayer for you, Think how many people in Sudan the last month have prayed for the Mount Juliet congregation. Have you thought about that? That's amazing. We give God all the glory, but that's what he's saying here. He says, people are gonna pray for you in Corinth because in Jerusalem, you've helped keep them alive. And he says, it's gonna be because of the exceeding grace of God in you. What did I learn today? Number one, I've learned that Christians giving to help others with daily necessities is one of the oldest collections in the Christian faith. Number two, I've learned that God is the supplier. You and I are not. Our, our employer is not. America is not. God is the supplier. Number three, we are the giver. And number four, God multiplies our gift. Now that's a beautiful thought. He multiplies our gift. In other words, our resources do more when given 
to God's glory than keeping them. He multiplies them. And the last verse of 2 Corinthians 9 and 15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. For two chapters, Paul writes about their gift and then he closes out that chapter by saying, but let me tell you about a gift that you can't even speak of. What gift is that? Surely here he's talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, we can't even put into words that gift. God gave his son so that we could live. This morning, please understand that there is no greater gift that's ever been given to us than Jesus. You can win a million dollar sweepstakes. You could win anything that you can imagine and nothing would top the fact that Jesus is given to you to have eternal life. But like any gift, you can accept him or you can reject him. I wanna encourage all of us to realize that just like we receive Jesus, we receive physical and financial resources. All of this is about what do we do with it? Do we waste our life? Do we waste our energy? Do we waste our abilities? Do we waste our resource? And in our life, do we waste Jesus? Let's make sure that today we leave here as dedicated servants of God, being wise with everything he's given us. And especially right now, we think about Jesus. If you've never been immersed in Christ for the remission of your sins, why not this morning as a believer willing to repent of sins and confess, why not become a child of his this morning? That's where he takes away the guilt of your sins. That's where you're added into Christ. What a blessing. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you've lost the way and you want to come home. There's not anybody here perfect. That's the whole theme of this study through 1 Corinthians. We've got problems, but God 